Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And it's all happening in the gardening world, especially at this time of the year. We're talking about, well, we are in spring, I would imagine so, even though there are the late snowfall flurries happening around the country. We're still waiting for rain and there's nothing wrong with that except it's a bit dry and dusty. But there's something that usually works, and this is what I found quite interesting. In all kinds of weather, when they had the drought done in the Cape over the last few years, the sales of roses went up because roses managed to handle the drought conditions in the Cape quite well. In fact, very few of them died. Now, to find out why this happens when everybody thinks that roses are the most pernickety and most difficult part from awkwards to actually look after in the plant world, we're going to be delving into the mind of one of the great rose breeders and growers in the country, Anya Tashina. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's been a very, very long time since I last saw you, about five years. I know you went overseas and you've been down in the Cape. Where have you been? What have you been doing? I've run off to the Cape. So I do a lot of consulting, a lot of landscaping in the Cape, but I run all our Cape operations there. I love it. Love the mountains, love the weather. It's very different. When I got there... I uh, was joking and said, surely this wind is not what you guys make it out to be. Uh Now I'm going like, okay, I have respect for the wind. (laughs) Have you been blown off your feet? (laughs) I have. (laughs) I remember when that happened to me, that horrible southeast suddenly comes through and annihilates you. But you get used to gardening in a specific dynamic. Some people say they come from KZN, for instance, up to Johannesburg, and suddenly they can't grow anything. Then you have all the people who go from Johannesburg down to the Cape, and they can't grow anything. Is there a big difference between what we're able to do up in Gauteng, for instance, to what you're able to do in the Cape? I think the big thing is really understanding the microclimate that you're working with or the microenvironment. But for roses, they really can grow anywhere. I was growing roses in Arizona, USA, at 50 degrees. The Cape was definitely a bit of a change. There's some fungal diseases that you just don't see here in Pretoria mm-hmm. or Gauteng. The soil is very different. I mean, I had to learn that there's fatty, oily sand mm. that just doesn't let the water go through. And with the drought, it was also teaching people and saying, look at where the water is going. It's going nowhere. Let's just get clever about what we're doing. Mm. And then anything can grow. Did you sell a lot of roses down in the Cape? I mean, I heard a lot of people saying the one thing that they were still selling was roses. Yes, a lot of people came and said, how are you still surviving in the drought? And really the answer is is that I know that humankind cannot be without roses. Mm. It's that simple. People will come and grow that one rose, no matter the work, the effort that goes into it, carrying those buckets to keep those few roses alive. That is really and attest to how wonderful this plant really is. Apart from it, that it's really just a tough plant. We all think that roses are pernickety, but they really can grow anywhere. But then why do roses have this um, thing around them that, oh no, they're so difficult to grow and you have to look after them and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to spray and they get all these diseases. Where in fact, you just leave them alone to do their own thing and they're fine generally. Well, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I saw this. Growing roses was a men's sport. And men's sports need rules. Mm. 
Mm. Otherwise, it's no fun. <laughs> That's what it was all about. You have to spray this and do this and that week and so on. Look, in the meantime, our fertilizers have gotten better. A lot of the rose varieties that we breed today, they go through a very strict process of about eight years before they hit the market. Mm. And that means they have to be disease resistant. And the plant architecture that we look for in South Africa is very different to what they're looking for in Europe. You know, we're looking for broad growing plants that can shade themselves, mm -hmm. that can handle the heat. Even the petal texture is something we look at today. We go, no, we don't want these soft petals. So it's really about breeding and selecting the right roses for the right area. And some roses are wonderful here in Gauteng and look awful in the Cape. Mm -hmm. Or in the Midlands, they look completely different. Um, so one needs to become cognizant, and I suppose that's what makes us the rose experts, and that's why people come to us because we can tell them, mm -mm, this one, not for the Cape. I'm just sitting here and thinking, you grew up at your father's knee. I mean, and he's the one I can well imagine him with that dogmatic thing about this is how you do the roses now. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> my father really knows good gardening practices, and what he taught me from an early age was. Look and look again. The plant will tell you what it needs or wants. Mm. The plant will actually give you all the answers. Just learn to look and look for the signals. And what he's really done for rose growing is he's made it easy. And you'll see it in all our shops. This is what you spray. This is the soil preparation. Mm. This is the size of the hole. We, you know, we don't even talk in centimeters anymore. We say knee height. Yeah. Or hip height, yes. so that it's just a lot easier for a female brain like mine to. <laughs> but that can be a bit dodgy, though, because I mean, I had a person coming in who's like really, really short, and I and she said, I said, well, how high is your bush? And she goes, oh, it's about shoulder height. And I kind of looked at her and thought, well, that's kind of like about hip height for me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you do have people coming in and saying, okay, my, I've got this rose bush and it's this color and it's about shoulder height and this, that, and the other. And you got to try. How many varieties of roses do you actually have on the books? Gosh, in our catalogue, we list 800 different varieties on the farm. Mm. I mean, Ludwig has his Rose Mile, which is like his museum of old roses that he brings from all over the world, and I help him with his collection. I think we've got about 1,500 varieties on the farm, but some of them we keep them for either breeding with them or if somebody comes and says, my grandmother had that variety. I want it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So you actually have been responsible for breeding some incredibly wonderful roses. And I think we've discussed this before. The University of Pretoria was the first one I knew about that you had done. Is that correct? It was years ago. It yeah. was one of my favorite roses. And that's why I got to talk to you, I think, the very first time. Is it some kind of arcane? thing that you do in a laboratory where you're mixing this, that, and the other? I mean, how does it actually work that you take two roses and you get another one which works? Well, it's a guessing game. And I would say that the divine plays a big role in this. You know, we by now we know which mother gives certain attributes like fragrance or color or stripe mm. or healthiness. And the father gives these or that genes. It's very similar to humans having babies we can only guess and say the dad's hair genes are going to come to this child but mm. we don't know and we don't know what the mix is and what's lovely it's always so exciting because in one rose you'll have 30 seeds they'll each be different mm. you can see that they're siblings but they'll 
each be quite different. So Ludwig and I and our team will look at every year, we'll look at easily about 10,000 seedlings. From those, we'll select 100. Now, of those seedlings, like with babies, we do not know what they will look like as adults. Mm -hmm. We can only but guess. Um, or if they're going to throw back to some kind of weird thing and, and go all knobbly. <laughs> I suppose that can happen with roses as well. But I mean, one of the ones that uh, has just come up onto the market now is the latest rose, which you're going to tell us about as well. Ah, oh, we're very excited about this one. The rose is in honor of Professor Tuli Madoncela. And choosing this rose, I mean, she's such a, she's a colorful person and her work is very colorful. But Eventually, Ludwig and I had earmarked this rose with a strong pink and a reverse white for her. When I eventually approached her, I had a hundred different roses, and she selected that one mm. immediately. She went for it. So I was like, okay, well, this has to happen. This, this is the right one for her. The fuchsia pink is really, you know, these days we talk about energies and the energy of pink. And pink is not only a feminine color. Pink was a male color because it was the diluted version of red. And, of course, red was for the royals, for the king, for men. Exactly. Yeah. But it is also the color of creation. And creation is the color of, well, creation is the energy of femininity. Mm. And when I looked at Tuli, she really did her work from her feminine energy. She never pretended to be a man in the role that she mm -hmm. was in. And look, a lot of women who work in high-profile jobs have to take on a male or used to have to take on a male energy. That's something she never did. So I think the rose in that sense is perfect for her. And the white stands for the truth and the clarity of her work. Mm. It's really, and then on top of it, it's highly fragrant. Oh, is it, this is one thing that I get very upset about, that roses aren't smelling properly. Well, smell is a thing. I believe that all roses are fragrant, mm. but you've got to train your nose to be able to smell it. I mean, some of them smell like cut grass. Mm or a fresh summer day. But you've got to, like when wine tasting, you've got to actually be cognizant of these very fine notes in there. Also, when the roses are picked for cut flowers, they were picked at a very early stage. Mm. They haven't actually arrived at sexual maturity, so they're not fragrant. Mm. So really, the best is to pick them from your own garden early in the morning and enjoy the real fragrance. No, don't pick them at all. Just go and shove your nose into the bush. Like I, I love it when people grow roses on their sidewalks because I go on my walks and I, I just spend hours, especially if I come across Papa Melant or something, and then my nose is stuck there and it's like walking into a wall of smell. I can't work any, walk any further. I've got to just stay where we are. But now you say the fuchsia pink yeah. with a white reverse Background. Explain what that means. So the reverse of the petal is the back side of the petal. Yeah. So the inner side, yeah. So you've got two sides of the petal, and the reverse is the outer side. How do you get one color on the one side and one color on the other side of the petal? It's a phyto process. So it's basically like a sunburn. Really, oh, really. Double delight. Double delight. One of people's favorite roses. Mm. It gets a sunburn, and it looks particularly great here in Gauteng. Grow it in the Midlands. The thing is cream. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of those things that you, as we said, it's arcane. Okay, so you say it's also scented. What kind of scent has it got? Because, I mean, I know that there's certain roses that will come across with a kind of lemony smell on some of the yellow roses. 
And this is also what's wonderful is that scent is connected, often connected to color. Mm. So your yellows will have a citrus note in them, whereas pinks often have a clean rose fragrance, like Gulila is really rose, rose. Mm. Um, some of them will also carry jasmine in them, which is your pungent sweet. And then your darker colors are musky and more into the berries. So it really connects very well, color and fragrance. Tuli's rose really smells to me. When like I a breath of fresh air? It's really like a soft summer's day. You know, when I smell it, I see a field and I see washing being dried in the sun. That's <laughs> kind of what I smell. And then it goes a little bit earthy. So it's not a very strong, pungent sweet. It's, mm -hmm. it's there, but it's subtle. Now, when is this actually being released this weekend? So the VIP opening is on Thursday where Thule will be there and receiving her rose. And then we open for the public on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And what's really cool is we decided we'll donate a hundred rand of each Thule Madoncela rose sold over the weekend to the Tuma Foundation for their work in social justice. That's fantastic. So, I mean, whereabouts is the, the whole event happening, by the way? At the Mother Farm. Just outside Pretoria, so Ludwig's Rose Farm. The festival will be all over the farm, but the exhibition of color will be in our rose venue. Okay, so when it comes to roses and breeding them, why is it that suddenly they lose their scent the hardier they become? This is something that a lot of people have said. The hardier you make them, that they can resist diseases, they do tend to lose their smell. The whole thing here is it's actually in the petal. It's the hardiness of the petal. And when we're talking, and this applies more to cut flowers, the cut flowers that are being bred, they need very strong petals. Imagine a lot of these cut flowers, which I don't believe is the right way, but a lot of them come from South America, Kenya. So by the time they're at your house, they've been on the road for a week and a half and in fridges and so on, and they've been handled. So for that, they need tough petals. The harder and the thicker your petal, the more difficult it is for the plant to release that oil. It's an alchemy process of sexual maturity, heat, alcohol, oil, so that those volatile fragrances can be released into the air. Mm. And that's why people say a lot of roses have lost their fragrance. You don't think so? You think every single one of them? I don't know. White icebergs, they don't really have much smell of a smell. It. I smell have. it with a maybe new... I just, maybe I've just got like really bad smell receptors in my nose, but I'm usually quite good. I like the very strong roses. They've got to have a good, strong scent. Like just Joey, he's got the most amazing smell. Oh, it does. And I mean, what does just Joey do to us? Or to me, at least, it takes me right back to my childhood. And I have these happy feelings. And what is your favorite rose? Just by the way, <laughs> seeing as I'm looking at you going like all misty-eyed here. <laughs> Oh, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't understand my dad because he would say to me, I have a new affair every day. And I looked at him and I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, um, me too. It can be a different one every day. But I very strongly tend towards the peaches. Mm -hmm. So softer shape, softer bloom shape peaches. One of them is Sylvie Joy. I just, every time I look again, I'm taking photos of this rose again. But it's funny how people are very specific about the colors that they like. I mean, for me, the pinks are quite nice, the whites are quite nice, but um, as you said, for me, it's the peaches, the salmony colors, the cinnamons, and maybe occasionally going into those kind of fuchsia colors as well. But I think mainly because of the smell of them. But now think about what that says to you. 
orange is an or about you because orange is an entrepreneurial, very happy color. Mm. Softening that means that it's still releasing on endorphins, but we still have that happy go getter kind of attitude. We really do connect with specific colors because these colors are working for us. Yeah. Okay. So people who have rose gardens that are just filled with every single color. <laughs> <laughs> They are rainbow people. (laughs) (laughs) Indigo children. There we go. But that's another thing, talking about indigos. Um, How on earth did you eventually get it that you could have a blueish rose or the purple roses? Because, I mean, that does not happen in nature. Your roses, I mean, they originally came from where? From the Far East. Well, not only. Some of them came from China, then mountains in Europe, even Africa. Some roses came from the purple gene is in the rose. It came from, you know, magentas mixed with red that gave the rose the purple gene. But the blue gene is not available in the rose. Mm. So, I mean, wouldn't we love to have a blue rose and I can stop working immediately? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just put it into, take white roses and put it into blue food coloring. It works perfectly well. <laughs> yeah, that does. They have, I mean, a lot of scientists have worked with it. They've taken the the blue gene of the pansy Mm -hmm. and tried to put that into the blue rose. So it's coming along. There's a lot of work happening in China. Is it right? I don't know. Is it necessary? I'm not sure. We cannot live with all the other rose colors that we already have, but if they get it right, good for them. Well, roses that smell like chocolate. No, they've already done that with the cosmos, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there are roses that actually, I mean, some smell like um, coffee, chocolate very close. I think you need to come and visit me for a fra- I, I think fragrance I to, experience. <laughs> I'm going to be shooting out there later on the weekend, definitely. Now, one thing that I remember when I was talking to Ludwig about tea roses, and I think tea roses are probably most people's favorites, but they want to use it for cut flowers, etc., etc. And where the tea rose got its name from? Gosh, that's a question for Ludwig. I'm sure I've read it a thousand times. Because they were smuggled <laughs> out in tea chests when they came out from the Far East. Aha. Uh-huh. Because they had a moratorium on taking roses from the Far East, yes. from Japan or China, and bringing them through to, to Europe. So they put them, they hid them in tea chests when the tea was brought out. A lot of work was done by Napoleon. Mm. He brought all the roses for... Josephine, because she loved roses, yes. That's it, that's it. And she was the original let's say rose breeder or had the first roses professionally bred. Okay. So now here in South Africa, I mean, everybody knows Ludwig's is the biggest. Yes. Yes. Biggest breeders. In South Africa. Absolutely. And in Europe, are there big, big breeders there as well? Yes. And fabulous breeders. I think this is what's part of my job is upkeeping those relationships. And it is, it's a family of roses. We all know each other. We've uh, been agents for 25 breeders worldwide. Our biggest breeder is Cordis, mm-hmm. has always been, and they continue to be so. Most of their roses are highly, highly disease resistant. I mean, it's, you know, when we go to rose judging, they just win one prize after the other. <laughs> but, and the rose breeders are, What's so fabulous about it? They're like artists. Eventually you'll see some of them have certain signatures. You yes. know, the one will always have big blooms and Friar always has orange somewhere shining through there. Yeah. So it's really a very personal relationship and, and a love. If you don't love roses, you don't want to be working in roses. It's hard work. 
it's strange. I grew up with roses and I like roses, but I wasn't particularly like, I have to have a rose. And then I changed my mind over the years as the years have gone by because I've realized that they're not difficult to look after. And it is one of those things that is so evocative. Memory just comes flooding through when you have certain smells that come through of a rose that might have been outside granny's house because so many people put my granny in a pot. Um, you know, it's an old, old silly joke, that one. What can I say? But for me, the whole thing about roses is always going to be that scent. I know that once before when I came to the Rose Festival out at Ludwig's at the Pretoria one where the, the event is happening, mm. and you walk in there and the smell overtakes everything. Yeah, and that is really what the human connects with. I think it's something that I've wondered all my life. Why do people always keep on coming, you know? Mm. Well, they're not just busy on their cell phones, but it's because I think we intrinsically understand that connection. What's very interesting is that the same fragrance that is in the rose, that molecule lives within our female body, within the womb when we're carrying a baby. That same molecule is what makes a tomato sweet and a strawberry sweet. That should be called the God particle, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Not this other thing. Uh, Now, what else can one expect to see at the festival? Oh, so the exhibition, I'm very excited about it. It's a hyper-modern exhibition this year, very different. We've paired up with paintsmiths, and we've created about 200 different color zones. Now, these we've either matched or contrasted with roses. We are doing some masses of roses and big bouquets, but we've walked away a little bit from that and really letting the light shine on that Mm. one rose so that we can really look at the shape and the size and the color and the fragrance without just getting lost on the masses. You're saying 200 colors. Men are going, I I can see Gavin sitting here and like going, what? Men only see blue, green, red, orange, yellow, purple, White, black, brown, anything else, grey? Okay, we see salmon, fuchsia, cerise. I mean, we can get into the entire thing and like wax lyrical about these fantastic different colours. So what do you mean by the 200 colours? Literally, Painsmith supplied us with 200 different colours. And you found roses to match all of them? Most of them, or to contrast, some of them. My dad was looking at me and he's like, Anya, what are you going to match to this blue? I said, no, no, we'll contrast it. And some of them will just go crazy. Blue with a, oh, I can, I'm just sitting and imagining already like a very royal blue with a bright orange, burnt well, orange on the side. That's it. And I imagine some of these roses are bicolored and striped. And so we've really gone into the color madness. And with that, we've also brought in a lot of information as what mm. these colors do to you from a healing perspective or from a space perspective. There'll be a lot of interactive workshops, food stalls, all sorts, everything going on about color. And what makes us such a colorful nation? This is also true, Rainbow Nation, and we've got a rainbow farm. And they've also got, um, for the little kids and for people who can't walk that far, you've got a little tractor thing that takes people around, yes? (laughs) That stays a favorite. (laughs) So yeah, we've transformed one of our tractors into a people train, which just rides them around the farm and they can just enjoy those expansive fields of color. I know, it's 
seriously, if you haven't been to one of these before, you really should actually make a mission to get out there. So if people want to find out more information, ludwigsroses.coza, is that right? Yeah, that's it. And all the information is on our website. This is the first year that we actually have a ticket fee for the exhibition. The farm stays open, parking, all sorts mm. are still open. But the ticket sales will also go to the Tuma Foundation. So tickets are also available on ludwigsroses.co.za. And can people buy at the door when they arrive there? Yeah, absolutely. We've and how much is it though? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're 80 rand for an adult and 65 for pensioners, zero free for children under 12. Okay, so I mean, it's really a worthwhile thing. And I mean, the Rose Cafe as well is like one of the great places to eat. And have you still got that wonderful rose cordial and the rose alcohol? That <laughs> I know that she brought me some rose alcohol once and I was just like completely blown away by this. And I love rose jellies and things. Yes, Turkish delight, rose syrup, rose jam. Listen, if you're looking for roses, you name it. We have it. <laughs> so basically, if people want to get out there, you get onto the N1 North mm-hmm. and you take towards Polokwane. Towards Polokwane and then you'll take the Valman-style pyramid turn off. This is one after, gosh, I've lived in the Cape too long. It was Zambezi Drive. Yes, that's right. Okay. <laughs> I just know that I get past there and I know where to turn off. Yeah. Yeah. But you shouldn't miss it. You'll see the color from the highway. Okay, so now down in the Cape, for the people who are living in the Cape who are listening, what roses are the best ones for them down there? You should know by now. You've been living down there. South Africa is definitely one of them. That's the bright yellow one, yeah? It's a bright yellow one, and it's finally giving iceberg a little bit of competition. It's difficult, you know? The Cape is very iceberg, very white. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, That's the DA, I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) Then another one is a a wonderful new rose is crimson velvet dress. It's stunning. It's so regal in color. But it's a floribunda, it really just goes crazy. Of course, the Tuli Maroncela is an absolute yes, yes, yes Yeah. for the Cape. Um, free and loyal. Gosh, it, it really depends on… What color you like. What color you like, exactly. But then if you ever have a question, all you need to do is get onto the website as well for Ludwigs and send a message and say, hey, what can I plant down here? Because we know that roses are sometimes not great down at the coast with the humidity and stuff like that. But I suppose if you just keep them opened up and get some free flow of air through, then yeah, they shouldn't actually one battle. one thing that we suggest that if they really are like on the beach, plant them in a pot and sink them into the soil. So plant them with proper compost. It's really more the salty soil mm. that's an issue. But a lot of our new stamina roses can absolutely handle growing at the coast. Well, I tell you what, I'm very excited about this whole thing. I, I'm, for those of you who like roses, I hope you're excited too. Anya, thank you so much for coming in. And uh, we will catch up with you again. I will see you out at the farm a little later. <laughs> yeah, it's been fabulous seeing you again. It has been way too long. And for the rest of you, don't forget you can get along and check out Ludwig's extravaganza of roses. <laughs> Only this weekend, though. Okay, which is now obviously the first weekend of October. So... We'll see you again. Until then, take care and above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.